want to direct your attention to the word of the Lord for just a moment. And I really prayed about this and, and uh, I wrestled with it last night because I know it's a holiday weekend and that means that some of us are in hibernation mode. <laughs> when holidays come, we just kind of check out sometimes. But I felt the Lord pulling me back to this topic, uh, even though it's a holiday and it's a, it's a serious subject. But I really feel like this is where the Lord wants us to be thinking today. And my title is this, Living with Discernment in the End Times. Could everyone say discernment? Discernment. Living with discernment in the end times. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to take you to Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 9. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. I'll read it to you. And we're going to be heavy on Scripture today. We're going to be looking at quite a few scriptures and, uh, and thinking about what it means to be in the end times and what it means to have discernment in the end times. So Philippians 1 and 9 says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that ye may approve or discern the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ or the return of the Lord. In other words, Paul is telling us that we need to be discerning in what is right and what is wrong and be discerning in how to be sincere, discerning in how to be blameless until the day of Christ's return. And this is part of what it means to be in the end times, to have a strong spirit of discernment. Now, I want to talk about a couple of other things regarding discernment. But first, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 4. And this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church about spiritual gifts. And uh, he's mentioned several things already. And I just want to give us a portion of what he says regarding spiritual gifts. Remember, Paul told us that we should covet the good gifts, that we should desire the good gifts of the Spirit. And he says this, Now... There are diversities of gifts. There are different kinds. There's different types of gifts, but they're of the same spirit. And there are diversities of ministrations and the same Lord. And there are diversities of workings, but the same God who worketh all things in all. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit to profit with all. For to one is given through the spirit the word of wisdom. Could you say that with me? The word of wisdom. And to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit. So these are two separate gifts that we've mentioned just now, but they come from the same spirit. How many know that we serve one God and Jesus is his name? And to another, faith in the same spirit. And to another, the gifts of healing in the one spirit. And to another, workings of miracles and to another prophecy, and to another discernings of spirits. And so the discerning of spirits is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I've heard many teachings about what it is to have the gift of discerning of spirits. And, uh, and I think that there are many, many things that could be said about it. We could teach an entire lesson about what it means to have discerning of spirits. But let me just say that I believe that 
in the age that we live in, and we are living in the end times, or what we sometimes refer to as the last days, I believe that there is no more vital and important gift of the Spirit that you should covet and seek after than the discerning of spirits. And the discerning of spirits is vital to us in these days because we are living in a time of great deception. And I'll take you to the next slide because deception, everyone said deception, is the overwhelming spirit of the end times. Deception is the overwhelming spirit of the end times. Uh, Now, you could say, and it would be true, that this world has always had deception in it. From the day that that Adam and Eve were in the garden and and Eve was standing by the fruit tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and from the moment that Satan slithered his way into their life and deceived Eve, we know that deception has always been in this world from that moment forward. But we are living in a world today that is more deceived than it has ever been. And deception is stronger and it is more subtle And it is more pervasive than it has ever been. I believe that. Now, let's talk about what it means to have discernment because we have to have it. I don't think that a child of God can make it in this world without discernment. And I realize that's a strong statement, but without discernment, you will fall for lies and manipulation and you will be deceived at some point. Now, I was looking at the word discernment And uh, I was looking at it in the dictionary. How many think you know what discernment means? Anyone have a good idea of what discernment means? Jonathan, if you've got your, I know you have your phone there close. Grab your phone, and I'm giving you permission to use your phone, and Google the word discernment, the definition of the word discernment. And I'm just curious what the top definition that you have that comes up. If if I were to ask, I, I was asking some people yesterday what discernment means, and uh, I was I was fascinated because I got about 10 different answers from 10 different people about what it means to have discernment. Some people said it means to be wise. How many think that's a good definition, to to have wisdom? And that is, of course, part of discernment, to have wisdom. Uh, I had one person tell me that discernment means that you're intelligent. And, of course, there is intelligence, but that's really not what it means to have discernment. I had one person tell me that discernment uh, means that you are uh, that you are perceptive. How many think that's a good uh, a good definition of discernment? To be perceptive, and of course, that is a part of what it means to be discerning or to have discernment. Of course, when you're talking about discernment in the spiritual realm, you mean many things. But for example, you also in the spirit realm, if you have discernings of spirits, when you're talking about spiritual things. That means that you can, uh, among many things, but you can sense when there is uh, demonic things happening in the spirit realm. You know, the Bible says that even Satan can present himself as what? An angel of light. And Satan will do that, by the way. Satan does not present himself to you as a monster. If you're expecting Satan to show up in your life, with horns and and uh, and a spear and 
and scary looking. That is not how he is going to try to gain access to your spirit life. He's going to come as beautiful and as enticing as he possibly can. Did you find a definite? Stand up and read that to us. I'm just curious what the first, is that the first one you found? Is that the, okay, what's the first one that you found? Well, wait, first tell me who's, who it's from. That's Webster. Okay, let's hear what Webster said. I have the Oxford Dictionary here. Let's hear what Webster has to say. Skill. In, can you say that first part real loud? Could everybody hear him? All right, let's give him a microphone. The quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. Skill in discerning. Yes. How many think that's a good definition? I think that's a good definition, the, the, the ability uh, to a skill in discerning. Now, I picked up last night, I was very curious what the first one he pulled up. I was late last night, was just thinking about it, and, uh, and I pulled up the Oxford definition, and they said something very similar, but they said the ability to judge well, the ability to judge well. I think those are all good definitions of what it means to be discerning. And by the way, I think that's important because uh, when you hear people that say, well, only God can judge me. If you're going to be discerning, you have to be able to judge well. That means really in the Christian context, when you say discerning, it's really the ability to recognize right from wrong, good from evil, bad from good, to be able to discern or judge or to have skill or to be able to understand and perceive what the difference is. Now, you're saying, well, this is Christianity 101, Brother Ryan. Listen, we are in a world that needs Christianity 101. Nobody knows what bathroom to use. They don't know who should get married. They don't under, because we don't have the gift of discernment any longer. We're living in a world where you can go into churches that ought to know better, and they have no discerning of spirits. It broke my heart the other day. I, I was, I was uh, sometimes, you know, social media is a blessing and a curse. It really is. It can be a great blessing, and it can just ruin your day. And I saw uh, on Facebook last week uh, uh, a, a pastor's wife from a, a, a church that used to love holiness and used to love God and used to, used to preach truth, and they've drifted, but they're still pastoring. And, uh, and taking a church into false doctrine. And, uh, and I, on Facebook, she had uh, a picture, and they were all at a party, and they were all drinking, and they were all dancing provocatively, and this was their pastor's wife. And the music in the background was thumping. It looked like a club, and the lights were going everywhere. The gifts of discernment are more necessary right now than it has ever been because people are losing the ability to discern and perceive right from wrong. And there's reasons for that because the age it is, and I'm submitting to you today that it is the overwhelming spirit of the age. Why? Because we are living in the last times. Jesus is about to return. And the Bible told us numerous times that in the last days, the spirit of deception would be strong in the world. It would be pervasive 
And so when you see people who are falling underneath the weight of deception, you should pray for them. Your heart should break for them. You should reach out to them. But you should also realize that it is just another sign of the times. It is another sign that Jesus is coming back very, 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 very soon. Now, I realize, wake up, wake up. I realize that some of you are in grill out mode. You're getting the steaks and the marinade and the burgers and the hot dogs. But we need to think for just a moment about the reality that Jesus is coming back. And we need to be discerning and we need to be able to tell what is right. Now, look at First Timothy one. The Holy Spirit tells us in plain words that in the last days, some people will turn away from the faith. How many heard that? They will listen to what is said about spirits and follow teaching about demons. Those who teach this tell it as the truth when they know it is a lie. They do it so much that they're now listen to this. They start off knowing that it is wrong. They start off knowing that they are being deceptive. They start off knowing that they're lying. But listen, and this is the nature of being a liar, by the way. How many have ever known a liar? How many are sitting next to him? <laughs> Anybody ever? Okay, so here's what happens when you become a chronic liar. You don't even realize that you're lying anymore. Anybody ever known someone that they'd lied all the time, but they lied so much that they believed their own lie? Anybody ever known someone like that? I've known lots of people like they lied so much that they believed their own deception. Now, they started off knowing it wasn't so they started off understanding, but they got so caught up in the web. Remember that old saying kids used to say, oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we do deceive something like that. And so the Bible says they do it so much that their own hearts no longer say it's wrong. So they don't even believe that their deception is wrong any longer. That is the spirit, by the way, of the age that we live in. That defines the day. We have politicians who lie and they think it's just fine. We have preachers who lie. They think it's just fine. We have bosses and workers and husbands and wives and saints and everyday people. Deception is the spirit of the age. I was reading just the other day uh, a, a big New York Times article about how lying has become socially accepted and socially normative. In other words, people no longer expect others to be honest. They expect people to lie to them. And they expect to be able to lie to other people. And the idea in modern times in 2016, and, and by the way, that phrase starts to, modern times starts to, you say that often enough and you just, it's like, my goodness, if modern times just means we can lie to each other, then we better go back to some old fashioned times. Amen. And so uh, they were talking about how people expect to be lied to and they're okay with it now. They expect to be able to lie to others and they expect others to be okay with. It. In other words, we've lost our shame in our culture. So if you're caught in a lie, there used to be feelings of shame associated with being a liar. Even if you were called a liar. When I was a kid, one of the worst things you be, could be called is liar, liar, pants on fire. Anybody remember that? 
Boy, that'd make you mad. Them's fighting words. Don't call me a liar. I'm not a liar. But now we're living in an age where the idea of being a liar is acceptable and there's no stigma or shame attached to it. It's just part of everyday life. And so we expect to do it and, uh, and we're even comfortable with it. But that is, if that is not a sign that Jesus is coming back very soon, I don't know what is. It is the overwhelming spirit of deception. And we believe that it's okay. We expect politicians to lie to us. We expect lawyers to lie to us. We expect corporations to lie to us, don't we? We just, we, in our culture, we just know it's going to happen. And if you don't, you've got your head somewhere underneath a rock somewhere because that is the spirit of the world we live in. Now look at what Jesus said, speaking of the end times in Matthew 24 and 25. He said, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. Second Thessalonians 2 and 10, speaking of the lawless one, he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. By the way, doesn't that sound like the culture that we live in? A culture that refuses to fall in love with the very thing that would save their soul. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing truth. In other words, not only will the end time culture that we're living in, not only is it marked by dishonesty and deception, but it's marked by hedonism They'll be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. They'll be lovers of self more than lovers of God. And uh, if we've ever lived in a hedonistic society, we certainly live in a hedonistic society today. Now, let me give you in the next slide three prevalent end time deceptions. There are three areas where deception will be most prevalent and most dangerous. And this is why every single one of us needs to have a spirit of discernment in the end times. Number one, there will be doctrinal and spiritual deceptions. Remember, even Satan can manipulate Scripture to his own advantage. When Satan came against Jesus in the wilderness, how many remember Jesus' wilderness temptation? What did he do? He came to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. He came to God manifest in the flesh. And he twisted scripture. That was his mode of attack with Jesus. Now, if he would do that with Jesus, how much more do you think that he will come to you using scripture to try to manipulate your thinking? Now, he takes it out of context. He, he twists it. That's why we do a lot of things around here about becoming skillful in the word of God and how to study the word of God and knowing the word of God for yourself, because if you do not have his word hidden in your heart for yourself, Satan will manipulate even scripture to bring confusion and deception into your life. That's why it's vital that you're a student of the word of God. And so we see all of this spiritual, we'll see spiritual abuse and spiritual deception and false doctrine. False doctrine is more prevalent than it's ever been. There's always been false doctrine. But now we have a flavor for every version of religion that you want, for every version of Christianity. I was reading the other day, uh, there's, there's a, a church 
not too far from here that is a blend of Buddhism and Christianity. So if you're uh, a little bit Buddhist and you're a little bit Christian, you can go to this church and you can blend Buddhism and Christianity. That's the spirit of the age that we live in. False teachers, false preachers, and false prophets clog radio frequencies and television channels and pulpits every day. Look at what Paul said. He said, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. And so we were warned that this is exactly what the last day culture would be like. It would be a culture where we want to hear what we want to hear. Preacher, tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me thus saith the word of the Lord. Tell me what makes me feel good. And I pray that spirit is never the spirit of apostolic tabernacle. I want my pastor, I want my bishop, I want my elders to tell me thus saith the word of the Lord. I don't ever want to ask somebody to just tell me what makes me feel good temporarily. And by the way, you know, Jesus talked a lot about multiple occasions. He talked about wolves that would uh, invade the church and that they would lead people astray. And uh, and, and I know I, I can feel it. I know it's a holiday and, and we're y'all. <laughs> if you could see some of your faces right now, you're just about ready to pass out, pass out. But but I'm going to tell you this warning. And I felt it so strong in prayer last night. And somebody needs to hear this. Maybe it's only one person. I don't know. But sometimes we read those scriptures and we automatically assume that when it says wolves, it's talking about pastors or or preachers. But did you know that there can be wolves that come into the church and sit on pews? And, you know, there are a lot of armchair teachers in churches. Did you know that? There's a lot of there's a lot of back corner teachers that will start that'll start kind of teaching in the shadows and they may not even be a leader in the church, but they'll invade and there'll be people. I've seen this many times. I've seen people who came into a church with one intention and one intention only, and that was to try to convince somebody that either something about what they believed was false or, well, you don't really need to do that or. You don't really need to believe that or that's not really necessary or you don't really need to be baptized. I remember I spent two years teaching a Bible study with a, a family in Natchez, Mississippi. In two years we would meet once a week and I'd go to their house and teach them a Bible study and, uh, and I, I'd pray for them and they would not, they would not get baptized and I would, I would plead and I'd go back to it and I'd, do you have any questions and and after two years, finally, I just said, you know, I, just explain to me, what is it that's holding you back? You obviously care. You obviously have concern. You wouldn't be, you know, getting with me for two hours a week for two years if you didn't care about all of this stuff. What's going on? Why, 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 why won't you be baptized? I, and, uh, you know, sometimes you just get desperate if you care about people. So I was feeling a little desperate. And, and, and they told me, they said, well, yes, I know, Pastor, but... I have also been getting with brother so-and-so from the church. And he's been telling me that it doesn't matter if I'm baptized. A wolf had invaded the church. And so part of having an end-time spirit of discernment 
is being able to discern voices that come into your life that are very, very, very dangerous. And we need to know that it comes from every direction. Sometimes we're so concerned with guarding ourselves from the, what might come from top leadership that we don't guard ourselves from areas that might could be dangerous right beside us. Hallelujah. That's good teaching. That's good teaching. You can get so distrustful of the pastor that you let someone sitting beside you ruin your salvation. Yes, you can. It's a very, very dangerous thing. And I've seen that many, many times. In fact, we're hard on preachers and I'm the first. Listen, I'm the first to hold preachers accountable to a good standard. I think we ought to do it. I think we have to do it. But sometimes we can get so hard on preachers and pastors that we open ourselves up to all kinds of other dangers. And I have seen far more people destroyed because of a wolf that was sitting on the pew than a wolf who was standing behind a pulpit. Hallelujah, I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. Yes, I have. And the spirit of discernment understands that wolves can come in all shapes and sizes. They don't even have to be a title, but they will have on sheep's clothing. And by the way, the Bible says they would be wolves in sheep's clothing, not wolves in shepherd's garments. Now, there's a lot of teaching about about false preachers and and all of that. And the Bible's very clear that that's a terrible, terrible sin when preachers deceive others. And I'm 100% against that. But I'm going to tell you the greater danger is that you would let a sheep sitting beside you draw you into false doctrine and draw you into sin and draw you into immorality. And draw you into all kinds of dangerous things and manipulate your thinking. They don't have to have a title. They don't even have to have authority. If you give them an ear and you allow it into your heart, it can destroy you. And that is the overwhelming spirit of the age that we live in. It's a strong, strong spirit. Now, secondly, so there are, we know there are doctrinal deceptions. There are spiritual deceptions. Those things abound. I mean, uh, everywhere you turn, we see that. That's why you've got... Uh, thousands of different churches and almost none of them resemble what the apostolic church looked like in the book of Acts. Thousands of churches and none of them teach what they taught in the book of Acts. The spirit of religious deception is everywhere. Paul would have walked, Peter would have walked into some of these churches and said, this isn't even a church, this is just a pagan temple. That's exact. I know this is strong. That's exactly what Peter would have said. He would have walked in and started rebuking demons and said, I'm in a pagan temple right now. Because the doctrine does not resemble anything that Jesus taught. It doesn't resemble anything that Peter taught on the day of Pentecost. I'm glad to be at an apostolic tabernacle. I'm glad to be a one God tongue talking. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be apostolic. I'm part of the original church. And by the way, we're not old fashioned. We're classic. <laughs> Amen. We're the real deal. Now, secondly, cultural deceptions, and, and uh, we see this everywhere. How many know that we are living in a culturally deceived time? Does anyone understand? I know this is heavy today, but I mean, you would really have to be blind. You would really have to have just, just you'd have to be watching eight hours of TV a day and, and just going to the movies and just flittering life away to not realize that we're living in an age that is just overwhelmingly deceived. Because we see increasing levels of disorientation in cultural norms. This is evidenced in people who cry peace and abort helpless babies. 75 million. 
babies aborted. Let that sink in for a moment. We are talking genocide on a massive scale, and yet we call it a right to choose. What about the baby's right to choose? And yet we cry peace, we cry, we cry love, we cry understanding, and we murder our most helpless among us. We're in a culture that cries love and doesn't even know how to love. We have divorce rates that are through the roof, and then we have even worse than that. We have a generation of people that won't get married because they don't even believe in, in the institution of marriage. And then we have rampant gender dysphoria. I was reading recently in the Journal for Science and Medicine about how they are, they are absolutely overwhelmed because they cannot understand why we have more five, six, seven, eight-year-old children than we have ever had in all of the history of recorded medicine and science. Children that are born either a boy or a girl and they think that they're something else. We have children right now, it's on the rise and they're scratching their heads. They don't understand. They literally do not understand because more, I mean, and it's just becoming prolific. Children, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, born, born a girl and wake up one day and say, I think I'm supposed to be a boy. Gender dysphoria. You know what it is? It's the overwhelming spirit of deception in the age. Are you picking on those little kids? Absolutely not. My heart breaks for those children. They were born into a broken and sinful world that their parents and their grandparents created for them. They are reaping the sins of us. Yes, they are. And they are feeling the weight of deception that we allowed into this world. And by we, I, I understand. But how, how many know we ought to all just take a little responsibility once in a while? That we allowed into the, this world, my generation, your generation, we allowed these things. And it's our little children that don't even know if they're a boy or a girl. If you don't think Jesus is coming back soon, y'all, you need to hit an altar and pray because he's coming back. I'm telling you, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. We see faltering morality on every level. I mean immorality on every, every, every level. And by the way, one of the reasons that so many Christians, and I've written about this and talked about this, but one of the reasons that so many Christians accepted the idea of the homosexual lifestyle, even though they weren't homosexual, but they accepted it and said it's okay or or they got all caught up in the love wins. How many remember that? The love wins. And, and it's just love. You got to let people love. And, um, and they got all caught up in redefining the institution of marriage and all of those things. One of the reasons that so many Christians did that is because for so many years, and when I say the church, I don't mean the apostolic church, but the mainstream American church, the Western church as a whole, for years, the church blinked at fornication it blinked at adultery. It blinked at divorce. It blinked at all kinds of immorality within the heterosexual lifestyle. And so young millennial Christians saw that and they saw pastors who were blinking at immorality here and immorality there. And yet they were preaching against homosexuality. And they said, that's not right. How come you can be immoral and yet you're going to preach against that? And you know what? They were absolutely right in that 
context. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. It's all wrong. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, all sexual sin is wrong. And so we need to stand against all of it. But our culture is so deceived and so confused that they don't know what's right. They don't know what's wrong. We see the crumbling family unit. We see the ever-disturbing rise of substance abuse. And, uh, and by the way, one of the reasons that they want to legalize so many drugs today is because they want to be able to say artificially that they're lowering the crime rate. So how do you get the crime rates lowered? You make everything legal. So it used to be illegal, and so crime was high. So I'll tell you how we get the crime rate down. We just make what used to be illegal legal. Does that sound right? No, no, no. We're living in a deceived and confused world. And so rather than fixing people's hearts and telling them that they need Jesus and leading them to the one who can deliver them and save them and bring them out and bring them through and bring them over, we see, no, we'll just say it's okay now. That's the world that we live in. We'll just say it's fine. And then our politicians can stand up and take credit and say, yes, we lowered crime. No, no, no. You just made things legal that used to be illegal. That's the world that we're living in. We see the proliferation of war, crime, and the toxic proliferation of greed. And also, we know, and Jesus told us, there would be worldwide political deceptions. The Antichrist would absolutely have to be able to take advantage of worldwide deceptions and politics. And we know that the Antichrist will use the corrupt mechanisms of politics and military structures and even religious leaders to achieve world dominance. That will be the spirit of the age that the Antichrist can step into. And can I tell you, the time is now. We are closer than we have ever been. Now, preacher, I've heard that my whole life. Yes, I know, I know, I know. But we are closer than we have ever, ever, ever been. Things are set. The spirit of deception is so strong. Listen, for those of you, if you were to just think a moment, 20 years ago, Couldn't you just agree with me that you're seeing things now that you never dreamed would be possible just 20 years ago? I mean, think about it. Would you ever dream 20 years ago that people would be wondering what bathroom to use? Would you have dreamed that? I'm only 33 years old, and and, and there are things in my short lifetime that I never would have fathomed two decades ago. That are happening right now. And it's happening faster. And every year, it seems like things move a little faster, a little faster, a little faster. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. If you're not careful, you'll be lulled to sleep. And all of a sudden, you'll be wakened from your slumber with the blast of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. Ha <laughs> ha. And then we, which are alive and remain be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Let's pray. Let's pray against the spirit of deception. Could we do that? And here's what I want you to pray. Look at me. 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 I know we're, I know we're wrapping up, but look at me. Look at me very carefully. I want you to pray this sincerely. I want you to pray that God would give you, not the preacher, but you, the gift of discernment so that you could guard yourself and the spirit could guard you from the spirit of deception of the times. Could you do that? I want you to pray for yourself right now. Do that. Lord, 
In the name of Jesus. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that the spirit of discernment, a gift of the spirit, God, I pray, O oh Lord, that it would fall into somebody's heart right now. I pray that they would walk in the spirit. I pray that we would talk in the spirit. Lord, it is my desire that we would pray in the spirit, O oh God. I pray that we would be a people who are led by the Spirit, God. And I pray that we would be able to discern what is right and what is wrong, what is true and untrue, what is good and evil, God. And that we would be able to discern those that would do spiritual harm in our lives, that we could recognize it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Turn around and say, thank God that's over and we can have a 4th of July weekend now.